Wow. That was just great. Everybody got a copy of the, oh, John's handing them out right now. We found a computer cord out in the parking lot, I presume probably from Wednesday night. If anybody was missing one of these, why, you're welcome to have it. I'll just lay it right here for now, and uh, you can pick it up later. Okay, and we want to do welcome everyone here. <laughs> we do have quite a few out this morning. Wow. And this rain will do it. We've had a lot of rain. It's not over. We've got rain yet today, but looks like 7 o'clock tomorrow morning, sunshine. That's what the weather said, my weather app says, so we'll count on it to be right. Sunshine tomorrow. We're looking forward to that. I'm looking glad to see Richard with us here again this morning. And uh, is that, now does Boone, you see, have a tie on there? I thought... I can't quite see it. He doesn't want to show it to us. Huh? Boone's got his tie on. I, I love them things, and he does too. So <laughs> glad to see you here, Boone. Okay. Don't forget, I hope, did everybody get the uh, email about the conference, the brochure, and got it open okay? Everybody except Harris? On his old, old computer, he said he couldn't get it open, so Mary had to give him one. Hand, you, did you already, you printed some off and brought them, did you? No, Oh, you just did one for him. Okay, because I got, um, I'm getting some printed, so to hand out, and it uh, should be in color too. So we'll hand those out at a later time. Okay. Um, I think that's all the announcements that I have. Um, I did. Oh, I did. Did I save this? I shared with the folks on um, Wednesday night. Uh, let me see. Did I save it? Oh, that's the key. No, I didn't. I already deleted it. We had a real nice um, email from Ken and Nancy, and they're doing well. And they had a Facebook note. I think it was from their granddaughter Kayla. And she had gone to camp at the Wilds. I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Wilds or not, but uh, it's a great Christian camp over in Brevard, North Carolina. And with a, it was a youth camp. And, of course, she had made a commitment to the Lord there and posted it on Facebook. And so they were excited about that. And we're excited with them. And so uh, we trust that um, we'll be able to minister to her when she returns. Okay. You have your hand out. Um, let's begin. Of course, last week you saw, you probably have your hand out there, and we were focusing there primarily on Satan being the god of this age. And this week, I want to look more at the aspect of the world, the cosmos. And of course, these two are different things. They're not the same. The age, or an age, depicts a period of time. A period of time that has a specified beginning and a specified ending. We don't always see that word clearly in the scriptures because it's translated as world quite frequently. 
as well as the word cosmos. And so we don't always see the distinction between them. So I had um, told Jeff I would get this uh, chart to him earlier in the week. Well, I didn't do it. I didn't get it to him until Saturday. But I find it difficult sometimes, at least for me, uh, to reduce these things to paper and get them in an organized manner where it makes sense to all of us. And um, so I hope, I hope this means something. What we want to look at is the word, the word world, cosmos, and the distinction between that and an age. This half moon shape here represents the age, the church age, and the space within the age represents the cosmos. The cosmos is that orderly arrangement of affairs, whatever it be. It could be anything. It could be a, um, it could be a group of soldiers, you know, marching together in, in, a, in, a, in an array, in rank. You know, they're, they're orderly arranged. But for our purposes here and understanding Scripture, we're looking at the world and the world system. And so the cosmos then here has to do with the world's arrangement. That orderly system of the world or the things which characterize the world. One of the things that we looked at last week to distinguish then us, believers in Christ, and this center panel within the within the picture here with Jesus there, um, we we made note that Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, and along with that. Colossians 1.13, and if you, you'll look to your little box there on the left, with, it has a couple arrows, I'm trying to depict this verse, so it shows what has happened. That verse says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, of course, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of the world, this world, this cosmos. The prince meaning the leader or the ruler of it. And as to you and I, who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior, he tells us that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. And then you see the two little arrows, and hath translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. Now, of course, we know that the actual manifestation of the kingdom is yet to be. That's for the future. But there is a present aspect in which we are, as believers in Jesus Christ, been translated into that word translated just means like a physical movement to place something from here over to here. You moved it. And that's what he's done with us. He has moved us 
from one sphere, the sphere of darkness, the sphere of the power of darkness, or as you might see right below the box, it says the word Greek word exousia, which means authority. You know, there are other words for power, like dunamis. But this word means, the, and carries with it, the idea of authority. He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We're under a new authority. We're under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then, at the top of the circle, the half circle, you'll see 1 Corinthians 2.12. And I tried to put this verse in some kind of a sensible manner, but you notice what it says. We have received, and then within the sphere of the world, not the spirit of the world or the cosmos, but... And then down in the lower panel where the believers belong. But the spirit which is from God. So there are two contending spirits. There is the spirit of the world. And then there is the spirit which is from God. And when we have received the Lord Jesus Christ, we've received a spirit that is totally foreign to the things of the world, to the things of the cosmos, to the things that are going on and the world of activity that's being carried on about us, even as we meet this morning. They're in conflict. If you'll turn to John chapter 14 and verse 30 for a moment. John chapter 14 and verse 30. And notice there. Well, if I get out of Luke, I'd find the right verse. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh. Of course, we see this verse also. The leader of this world, the leader of this cosmos cometh and hath nothing in me. Now think that through for a moment. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And in Christ, the prince of this world, he says, has nothing in me. If he has nothing in Christ, nothing to do with him, he has nothing to do with us. That is something that's foreign, totally foreign to us. Then, if you look another verse or two here, John chapter 8 and verse 12. I want us to look at you and I in contrast to the world and where the Lord Jesus Christ has placed us. 
In John chapter 8, verse 12, notice it says there, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. He is the light of the world. Now, it's interesting, in my Bible, I just go to the right column. Right beside that is verse 23. And there it says, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. Jesus is the light of the world. He is not of this world. Now, look at Matthew chapter 5. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just went through earlier this year. In verse 14. And notice what he says about disciples. Notice what he says about those who have committed themselves to be followers of Christ. Ye are the light of the world. And all we're trying to look at here is the strong contrast between those who are in Christ and belong to him and those of the world. One characterized by darkness, the other characterized by light. So everything that we do, every point of contact we have with the world, we're coming into contact with darkness. But just remember, the world is coming into contact with light because ye are the light of the world. But also remember, they're in conflict one to the other. Therefore, they should never yoke up together. They should always be separate. And of course, we find that elsewhere in Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we find, again, this aspect of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. But here we want to look at, we, and we looked at that last week. But now I want to look at the first part of that verse. He says in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course or the age of this cosmos. So at one time, we were outside the box there. We were in Christ. We were in darkness. And we walked accordingly. And we walked, he says, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children or the sons of disobedience. So what we're trying to look at here then and see is that in the realm of the cosmos, there are certain characteristics that govern it. 
And one of these, he says here, is the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. There's a spirit out there. John tells us to test the spirits to see whether they be from God. There is a spirit that we have received because we are in Christ. There's another spirit that's in the world. And it's a spirit that governs the world and all of its activities and everything that it does. So I realize, and I'm sure you're already thinking that way. <laughs> when I go out shopping, when I go to work, you know, or when I meet somebody on the street or wherever I am, there's going to be constant, continuous contact with the world. One spirit of the world, one spirit that we have received from Christ. One is under the authority of darkness. The other is under the authority of light. And these will always be in conflict one with another. But I sure am happy to hear John say, greater is, is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we need to have no fear of the power or the authority of darkness when we meet it on a day-to-day -day basis. If you look at the bottom right corner of your chart, on the wall, just the right-hand side, you'll see that phrase, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The word work, or worketh, comes from the word energeo, and you'll see the word, the initials PAP. It's a present active participle. So you can translate that as actively working. What I'm trying to get at here is just because there is a spirit in the world, I'm not trying to say, and the scripture is not trying to say, that this is something that is dormant. This spirit is not. Uh, static, just sitting there. It's an active spirit. Always, constantly activated, energized by Satan, doing his work against God and against his will and against his Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see numbers 1 through 6. I want us to look up a few verses here. I want us to see several expressions that the scriptures use to describe this kind of activity and what it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Here, Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, that's what we just looked at earlier, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So there is such a thing as the spirit of the world. Look at the next one. Just turn your page over to chapter 3. 
and verse 19. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. So everything that Paul is saying here concerning the world and its wisdom, he says, is foolishness with God and it's vain. That is, it's empty, it is valueless, it has no point or purpose to it as far as God is concerned. Then turn a few more pages, 1 Corinthians 7. And verse 31. Verse 31 says, And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. The fashion of it, the manner of this world, it's a passing, fleeting thing. There is nothing permanent about it. It was never designed by God to be that way. It was never meant to be something that would last. Look at now Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Titus chapter 2 verse 12. A very familiar verse to us. Paul says in verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us this, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. Worldly lusts. So the world has lusts. It has cravings. It has desires. Things that appeal to man. And he tells us here that we should deny those things and turn away from them. Turn to Second Peter chapter one and verse four. That's that's number five, by the way. Second Peter chapter one. And verse 4. There Peter says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So the world or the cosmos is characterized by corruption. You see, there's nothing admirable about the world system. Now the world promotes itself as being the end of all things. Everything that man can do in his own power and accomplishments. And all you have to do is look at all the great things in the world that men have done and are seeking to do and are working to accomplish even yet today. Think of all the magnificent buildings and and architecture and 
you know, everything that, that the world is seeking to accomplish. Peter says here, it's characterized by nothing but corruption. Then if you look to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. So you just turn a page over for me. Chapter 2, verse 20 of 2 Peter. And notice here it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions or the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. And what Peter's telling us here is that once we are translated into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, his dear son, and then we move back into and place ourselves under the authority of darkness, and we become corrupt and defiled by those things and entangled, he says, in it, and you're overcome by it, then he says, your latter end is worse for you than it was for the beginning. In other words, your beginning at the first, you were under the power of darkness. You were under its authority. Then you were placed under the authority of Christ and translated unto his, the kingdom of his dear son. Then for you to go back into the world, he's saying the end for that person is worse than for the person that never even made the move. Your latter end is worse than your beginning. So the world system is at enmity, the King James Bible says, with God and with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing but antagonism and hostility between these two realms, these two spheres. That's why the scriptures tell us and constantly admonish us to walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of his son cleanses us then from all unrighteousness. It's when we slip out into that dark realm that we're in trouble. Look at a couple other verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21. He says there, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world, that is the cosmos, by wisdom knew not God. 
See, the world operates by its own wisdom, its own value system. And that's where we get in trouble. When we want to borrow from the world's value system and take it to ourselves. But it's hostile to God. It's antagonistic towards him. John chapter 7 verse 7. I was amazed as I was studying this how many times John makes reference to the world and the contrast between the things of the world and the things of Christ. In chapter 7 and verse 7, he says there, the world cannot, that is, and when I read all these, by the way, when I say the world, you know it, if I don't mention it, it's the cosmos. It's the world system. The world system cannot hate you, but me it hates. Because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. All of the works of the world are evil. There is nothing good in them. And that's what Jesus said. I testify of it that its works are evil, and then because of that, the world hates me. They're antagonistic to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn a few chapters over to chapter 14. That familiar passage there that we know so well, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. But look at verse 17. In verse 16, he says, I pray the Father that he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now that's an important point. The world cannot receive the spirit of truth apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So there is a continual point of conflict between the believer and the Lord, uh, and who's walking in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the world. What did Jesus have to say about all that? Well, let's continue with John in John chapter eighteen. And verse 36. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, I think it's verse 8, where the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and said, Hey, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world, this cosmos. Think about that. All the nations of the world make up the, the kingdoms of this world, the cosmos. But here, in verse 36, Jesus told Pilate, My kingdom is not of this cosmos. 
It's from someplace else. I don't have a kingdom here that has anything to do with the kingdoms of this world. And believers have been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. So we don't have anything to do with the world. That is to be part and parcel of our life. He goes on to say, if my kingdom were of this world, this cosmos, then would my servants fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. It's not from here. It's from another source. Look at, turn back a chapter 2 to chapter 16. And verse 33. Concerning that world, though, Jesus says this. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the cosmos. Well, he tells us in 1 John chapter 5 the same thing concerning us. If you look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. And both of those are present active participles there. Who is he that is overcoming the world, but he that is believing that Jesus is the Son of God? And so as we practice walking by faith, we are overcomers, and we gain the victory over the world. First John chapter two another very well known passage verses fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen, where John tells us love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the cosmos, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. That's the second time we've read that this morning. 
the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth to the age. That's a pretty strong statement that John is making to us. Because when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior, they understand the gospel concerning the kingdom of God and the conflict between the two the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God, the power of darkness and the, and the, or the authority of darkness and the authority of light, and what the Lord has promised to those who walk through this world by faith, separated from it, unassociated with it, having nothing to do with it because all of its works are evil, and wicked. He says the person that does that will abide or remain to the age. Now that doesn't mean you're going to live all the way through the church age until the coming of the kingdom age. It means simply that you will abide with the promises of God intact, in hand, so that when he does appear, you will receive that rich and abundant welcome into his kingdom. That's what he promises us in 2 Peter chapter 1. That if, as we are in Christ, filled with his spirit, not the spirit of the world or the flesh, bearing fruit, he guarantees us then, he says, you will not be barren, Peter says, but you will have that rich, wonderful, abundant welcome into the age-lasting kingdom or the life, how do I want to say that? The life-abiding age of his kingdom. And I hope you see through all of this that what he has promised us is life then as it was meant to be, not as we are presently experiencing it. Life now is filled with trial. It's filled with testings. It's filled with pain. But there's a life to come that if we walk in faith and overcome will result in a, in a joy and an abundance that will just, I mean, it'll just like blossom out into nothing, like nothing we've ever seen. You know, the world has its own measure of peace, its own kind of peace. 
it felt good to sit on the deck up there in Gatlinburg in the mountains last week and, you know, just look out across the valley out there and think, well, you know, that looks pretty peaceful. And I I enjoyed that. And I sat there for a while and then thought, you know, I thought this was really, really quiet. But then I listened real carefully. <laughs> and I could hear cars running on the highway down there. <laughs> I said, well, there's not so much peace here as you think there is. You know, the world is up and going and doing its thing this morning, even at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning or whatever time I was out there. I don't remember. It's constantly in motion, constantly energized by Satan, constantly working to draw men away from the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to get men to see that, hey, the world's okay. We can do these things. We can, we can promote ourselves and make our own accomplishments and be a real success. And the only way that you can really know that it's a big fat lie is when you have your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have your heart and your soul in his word. When you have his cross upon your back. And you're carrying his burden. And you see the light that he has given us. You know, he, he tells us there over in Hebrews chapter 6. Concerning those who fall away. He tells them there. They have, concerning those who have in verse 5. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 5. He says concerning those who have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the world to come. That's, now that word world there is the age to come. You see we're living in a certain world. In a cosmos. But if we have seen the light. And tasted the Lord Jesus Christ. And received him. And tasted the powers of the age to come. Then we know the contrast between the age to come and what's in this present age. And we will realize that it has no value. It has no purpose to you and I. And so we say those things simply to encourage us to continue to walk by faith, to continue to recognize the wiles of the devil, to have your spiritual armor on so that you are ready for the warfare that exists in this world. Once you receive that rich welcome into Christ's kingdom, you can take that spiritual armor off because you won't need it. But here you do. Here we fight against a different kind of enemy he calls this age an evil age in Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 this present evil age there is nothing good about it let's keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ 
Keep our eyes on the promise that he's given us of the age to come. Let that be the thing that energizes you and not the things of this world. And that will energize your life as a believer, as a Christian, and enable you to walk in his power and at peace with him and in harmony with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to express again our gratitude to you for your word, for how you've dealt with us in mercy, how you have gently prodded us along in our Christian faith, how you've brought us to the point where we can see the things of Christ and what is yet to come. We pray that you will give us that grace each day to walk in faith and to walk in the power of your spirit, to recognize that spirit which is of the world and avoid it so that we don't stand before you one day uh, in trembling and fear because our works were done under the wrong spirit. Let us do that which is well-pleasing unto you, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.